0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
2: Celebrating 35 years of creativity and collaboration, the Vale Dance Festival returns July 28th through August 7th with 12 thrilling performances and numerous special events, including live podcast recordings of conversations on dance all across the beautiful Vale Valley. Don't miss the legendary Martha Graham Dance Company, L.A. Dance Project, Music from the Soul, Ballet X, Dance Aspen, and an all-star cast of festival artists from New York City Ballet, American Ballet Theater, the Royal Danish Ballet, Boston Ballet, and many more. Tickets for our live podcast recordings are now available at slash conversations on dance or click the link in the show notes. Tickets for festival performances are also available now at veildance.org. See you this summer. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro.
3: And I'm Michael Sean Breed, And you're listening to Conversations on Dance.
2: This week, we are joined by Tara Gossamiya, principal dancer with Golden State Ballet. Tara talks with us as she discovers her place within the world of ballet and uncovers a forgotten piece of Iranian history. She tells us about her film Persian Swan, her tribute to the Iranian national ballet, and how this mission has evolved onto the stage with The White Feather. If you're in the Southern California area, see The White Feather, a Persian ballet tale, June 29th at the Eli and Edith Broad Stage in Santa Monica. Tickets are available on Eventbrite or click the link in the show notes.
3: Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. You are literally on the side of a highway (laughs) driving to class (laughs) because you're in California. We're in in New York and Florida, but it just... Thank you for taking the time. You know, <laughs> it's, it's very early where you are, but we, you know, I've, I've been dying to talk to you ever since we got to work together on Increases, which is premiering next week, which maybe we'll get to later. But yeah. you're doing some incredible projects. Like, it's just you've been in the news a lot. Um, we're going to get to all of that. Just, let's just hear a tiny bit about your own background with ballet, like how you how you started dance, what your training was, early career path, that sort of thing.
1: Mm. Well, thank you for having me. Truly, it's such an honor to be here. And I love your podcast. I'm going to be real right now. It's the only podcast I've ever listened to.
3: Oh, Oh my God. (laughs)
1: I know I'm the worst. Everybody's like, you need to listen to podcasts, Tara. And I'm like, okay. But um, I started with you guys and I've just gotten stuck. So um, you've you kept me company on my morning commute. So thank you. Oh, you're uh, so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And it was such a pleasure to work with you, Michael, like blasting the past. So much fun. I really miss Aww. you. You need to come back. Aww, um, I miss you too. <laughs> well, it, to answer your question, um, I mean, to bring it to baby tara i started as a gymnast and an actress actually when i was a little kid and um i as a gymnast they recommended that i did ballet and a lot went on but essentially as soon as my hand touched the bar it was love Mm -hmm. at first sight i dedicated my whole life to ballet it's actually an ongoing joke in my family um Because I booked the job to be Sandra Bullock's daughter in that movie Practical Magic, which Michael knows me well. That's really fitting for me, super witchy. (laughs) It is. uh, (laughs) 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 Even as a kid, I was casted properly, and I actually uh, turned down the movie to do Party Girl in Nutcracker.
4: Incredible.
1: I am still very upset with my mother on that, but that's okay. She gave me a carte blanche to make my own choices at a young age, which is a beautiful way of parenting. And, but I would still be getting residual checks. So anyway,
3: so that's really, when,
1: yeah, true. That's really when my family was like, okay, she's really serious about this and we are going to do everything we can to support her. And, you know, we didn't have a lot growing up, but uh, my family was a huge support system and, You know, I trained here. I've done everything. I, you know, I really take a lot of pride in the fact that uh, I've trained in all forms of dance. And and in fact, I'm probably best at musical theater. But again, ballet took my heart. And uh, I went to ABT school um, with full scholarship at 16. And uh, when I moved to New York, unfortunately, a month before moving, I broke my back. So. that was really traumatic um you know and i've always been super flexy bendy in the back and so to have that type of trauma alone in new york as a 16 year old very far from my family very far from any support um you know because the way the abt school was then was we were really just alone in new york there was no dorms there was mm-hmm. no supervision right. you know so i My heart broke a little bit. And, um, you know, because I wasn't able to be the dancer that I knew, I slowly stopped loving ballet. And I actually quit for four years. Mm. And in that time, so I have a very different career path than most, you know, um, most people at age 18 are like auditioning for companies. They're going for it. I went back to acting and um, was working to be on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I had a dancewear line and it was quite successful. This was before Etsy and where you really had to get your stuff and like discount dance and Capizio and all the things. Mm -hmm. And, um, essentially my last day in New York before moving back to California, um, I remember I was just alone in my apartment boxes everywhere. And, um, I just started doing plies and I just started to ball. And I said, you know what, Tara, I, you know what you need to do now. And uh, I moved back to California just to actually expand my dance room line um, because I wanted to make it in America. And um, I went back to baby ballet classes. I went back to some old teachers of mine. I started taking class with like the nine-year-olds. I retrained my body completely, like in Vaganova training, because that was the best I had in the area. and from then on, I just never stopped. I, I had to be a freelance dancer here in Southern California because we don't really have a, you know, a, a big professional ballet company. Um, you know, we don't have those outlets here, unfortunately in Southern mm-hmm. California. Um, it is, it is expanding now, but at the time and yeah. And, and I've had, you know, two children, I'm raising three kids with my husband, but, um, you know, every single time I, I just kept coming back to ballet and, and, you know, I, mm-hmm. I just, I'm fully devoted, helplessly mm-hmm. devoted.
3: Oh. This is, <laughs> I, I, this is, I mean, maybe there of that whole beautiful story. This may be the wrong thing for me to pick out, but I will just confirm to our listeners that Tara's arabesque is bonkers. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> maybe Maybe, we'll was get, the that, maybe that'll be the photo. <laughs> maybe yeah. <that's> the photo. <laughs> I'm like, you had, two, you've had two babies and your foot is still above your head in any given arabesque. Couldn't be pretty, asked. pretty, thanks. pretty good. <laughs> oh, thanks
1: love. Well, you know, it's not easy. And, um, you know, I, I really like to be, I try to be the best example I can to young female dancers, especially just to know that they don't have to take, they can take the path less traveled. You know, they, mm-hmm. they can, um, be a mother, they can expand their career. They can, they can do other things and still be that ballerina that they want to be. Um, and that, that's really Part of my mission within the ballet world is to say, "Okay, hey, we've been doing it this way for a very long time now let's um let's let's shake it up a bit, you know let's mm-hmm. let's have more guest artists in big companies let's let's expand the way we, I just feel like ballet can almost get so culty, you know, mm-hmm. like you're in your ballet mm-hmm. company and you stay." And um, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful thing. It's camaraderie. It's loyalty. But I I would love to see some evolution, you know, within within our arena. Yeah,
3: right. So let's shift gears a little bit uh, and hear about some of the projects that you're taking on right now. Uh, I'm curious to hear when you started to to first really, I guess, consider your own Persian heritage, and then how you realized that that could intersect or um, the importance or significance of you being a ballerina how how would it intersect with that?
1: Yeah, that's a that was such a journey. Um, I'm gonna bullet point it because you know me being Virgo, I can go on a tangent. Um, but but <laughs> I'm uh, right there are, with you. Yeah, oh, yeah, Rebecca, are you Virgo? Mm-hmm. Girl, and that's why you and Michael need each other because we Virgo needs Pisces and Pisces needs Virgo. <laughs> We'll go. do this later. Yes, to okay. yeah. each other.
4: <laughs> We'll expand yeah. upon that towards the end. That Wait, sounds good.
1: Exactly. We'll have an astrology <laughs> podcast next. Um, okay. <laughs> but, yes. but you know, for me, actually, it was five years ago, and um, and I'm just going to get really personal because I'm a very vulnerable person. I think that being vulnerable is actually one of the greatest strengths in being human. Um, I was, again, I came to a crossroads with ballet, my partner and now husband, Vitor Louise. He was the principal of San Francisco ballet. I was in Southern California. Um, we both came together with one child. Our, I, my oldest son, Vincent, uh, and his daughter, Luciana, they are 10 months apart. Mm. And so we had a bit of a difficult situation and how can we merge our lives and i um unfortunately was not allowed to move to san francisco with my son um, due to his biological father being in southern california and that Mm -hmm. was really my goal and dream was for Mm -hmm. us to have our life in san francisco so we could both dance and then that was cut And I was devastated. I literally started classes to be a real estate agent. I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. We didn't know how we were going to come together and start our life, but we knew we wanted to have a life and a family together. And um, essentially somehow, some way I was working with a girl and she was like, my friend needs to channel for you. And I said, I don't know, you know, I can channel. And so I don't really like people channeling for me. I was just I don't know, putting walls up. And anyways, this woman called me and she's now my angel, Tiffany. And she had this huge vision and I'd never met her in my life. Didn't pay her a dollar. She just had this vision and she saw rows and rows of women standing in Chador. And if you're not familiar with Chador is, it's the full black Um, like the hijab, but all the way to the ground that they wear within the um, Muslim religion and in Islam and in, in Iran, she saw rows and rows of women in Chador pointing at me. And very quickly after that, I saw this vision of women removing hijab and burning it. And I was like, what does this mean? And why am I dancing in point shoes in this vision? And this is five years ago. And so I just started literally, it started with a Google search at 11, 11 at night, hmm. ballet and Iran. It started there. And I found out that there was an Iranian national ballet. I said, oh my God. And that Nuriev had danced there and Margot Fontaine and Makarov. I said, what? Like my mind just blew. I said, how am I Iranian? And I didn't know this. Mm. It was the biggest ballet company for 20 years in the Middle East. And then it was dissolved with the Islamic Republic coming to Iran in 1979. And they've been there ever since. And then I continued to dig deeper and found out that ballet is actually currently illegal in Iran. And if you're going to dance ballet, you're doing it underground Mm. and you are risking your life. Mm. And then I went, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Is there any other Iranian-American ballerina? Okay, no, I couldn't find any. And then I went, wait, has there ever been an Iranian-American, like, principal dancer? And I couldn't find any. And from just these thought patterns and this research and kind of diving down into myself, I realized, wow, that's your mission. That's why you always came back to ballet. That's why you could never give it up no matter how many times ballet didn't love you, you loved it and you Mm -hmm. never gave up and you never gave up baby after baby and broken back and this and that. And it just clicked. It was like when you finish connect the dots and Mm -hmm. it was that last dot. And from there, everything manifested itself. I was working on another film that never panned out, but that was a really good learning journey for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then Vitor and I, the pandemic happened. Vitor and I, you know, got pregnant. We decided to expand our family, have one baby to kind of merge the other two babies. Mm-hmm. And from there, I I honestly, you guys, I sat with this knowing for three and a half years. I went off social media and I just grounded myself because I realized this mission was so much bigger than a standing ovation on the Met one day which was like you know the dream I would go Mm -hmm. to bed with every night it just it changed everything shifted and it was about okay you're gonna dance until the day that your point shoes are on a stage in New York and Rudaki Hall or I'm sorry in Iran Mm Rudaki Hall in Iran and you are gonna bring ballet back to Iran Mm -hmm. and you're gonna make it accessible for the first time ever because it never was truly accessible it was really for the elite Um, -hmm. and that was it. And so from there, you know, all of these projects and things that I had been developing came to fruition and, you know, we can touch on those things, but that's really how it started was I was just in this very dark place within myself and not knowing that I could keep ballet in my life. And, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. this knowing just struck me. It just, it was,
3: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Blessing, really.
4: How did you kind of start to create a plan? Like now I have this mission statement kind of, how am I going to start to make this happen? What were your first steps?
1: Well, the first steps, to be honest, um, somebody had contacted me. And, and this is actually within like, two weeks of me doing this research and finding out my own truth. And this is where I like truly believe in the universe and how your thoughts just create your reality. But I could not stop thinking about it. I couldn't even sleep. And I just was like, where do I even start Tara? Like, what do you do with this? You know, And somebody had contacted me, it was a producer working on a film, and I was involved with that project for most of the pandemic, very quietly. And the project never happened, mainly because of financial things and, and everything. And, but that was a very good space for me to learn and also refresh my own memory as to how to be a filmmaker, because I was in front of the camera a lot as a kid, Mm -hmm. And, um, I've always been very producer minded, but I needed to really learn the back end of film. So I got to be in this place where I was watching a film in pre-production and I learned a lot. And then when that film didn't pan out, I said, okay, Tara, this is your mission. It's always been your mission. So that was just a learn. That was like going to school almost. Mm. Um, and then from there I said, okay, you're going to pick up and you're going to carry this because it's yours. And, um, I literally just said, you know what, you're going to find a cameraman and you're going to do this renegade style. You're going to direct it. You're going to produce it. And you're going to get in front of the camera. And it's really scary to put yourself out there because you have to have a lot of belief in what you're trying to do, but you're going to do it because you're going to do it for people that need you to do this. Um, And so that's really where Persian Swan was born. And that was always a nickname of mine. Um, I had some like terrible nicknames growing up, like very bully, but um, (laughs) this one I loved and I just kept it. And it kind of came in and out of my life. And I said, you know what, you're going to, you're going to hold this nickname and you're going to keep it because it really helped me compartmentalize all the facets of my life, you know, like sometimes being Tara, who's the mom and the teacher and all these things needs to separate from Persian Swan. And so that's why the short film was named Persian Swan. And really it's, it was just this vision I had of seeing this woman abandoned in point shoes in red in the desert. And Mm -hmm. that's all I saw. And so we got to that desert. It's um, a really freaky place uh, (laughs) where I found this spot. It's like, radioactive sand and yeah it's pretty nuts California is a crazy state Um, (laughs) but the location the location was incredible and um I we shot that in two days with a two-man crew and um I went to my friend Kelly she's been my best friend Kelly Johnstone to the producer on many news stations at the time she was working for CNN in New York I said, Kelly, I need you to help me produce this. And she said, Tara, I've been waiting for the day for you to say that to me. Uh, she's just always been so supportive of me, no matter what, through <laughs> through everything. And mm. so from there, um, it's just crazy stories. Like I was getting my hair done in a hair salon, and my lady is Persian, of course, and she was brushing my Persian hair. And she said, I think you need to meet my friend L2Z. El Tuzi happens to be like this badass investigative journalist who's Iranian and just took the project and made it fly. And so now between me, Kelly and El, you know, Persian Swan became a digital media piece. I broke it up into three parts. They're like three short shorts. Um, And really, it's a prequel preamble. To a full featured documentary film that we are in production shooting right now about the Iranian National Ballet. Hmm. And so that's really what I wanted to cover was because what people don't know is the Islamic Republic burned. And I when I say burned, I mean, actually took fire to every costume of the Iranian National Ballet. Hmm. They burned all evidence of professional ballet existing in the country
4: and when was this
1: in 1979 so in Mm -hmm. 1979 imagine you have been and this is an international company in fact there was only Mm -hmm. a handful of people from Iran um dancing and they they were from Europe they were from America there was a dancer from Texas they were everywhere because I you know had to find them Mm -hmm. and um They were all dancing and suddenly, slowly, but surely they were um, like not given things like suddenly they weren't given a needle and thread to sew a shoe or they weren't given shoes or they weren't given rosin. And, And it was about a month or two, this like trickle effect where dancers were fleeing and fleeing. And by the last day of their contract, they went to them and said, okay, you are done dancing. If you ever want to dance again, you need to leave the country right now. Mm -hmm. So your choice was either exile the country of Iran to dance or to stay in the country and not dance. The only option you had was to join the theater and be an actress. Mm -hmm. And so that is how the Iranian national ballet dissolved and um, ballet has not legally re-entered the country since.
4: So have you been finding these people that were a part of the ballet and speaking with them? That's, I assume, a big part of this project.
1: Yeah, so um, the documentary is essentially finding them and getting their story because what Mm -hmm. people don't understand is that the evidence has been burned. This is back in Mm -hmm. 1979. So if we do not document These people and their story, Mm -hmm. then that history dies with them. Mm -hmm. It's gone. And so we are in this huge, like, rush to document these beings that some are well into their 90s. So, you know, that's kind of the mission we're on right now. And Persian Swan, this short film we made, was really just introducing me as. Like solemnly, as the lone iranian American principal dancer, and how I discovered the Iranian national ballet, and through my lens, hearing that story mm-hmm. um, and then you know, my ballet, the white feather stem from that because it's honoring them so every it's everything has just been a stepping stone really to Bringing to not just the dance community, but the world, this piece of history. And how are we going to bring ballet back? How are we going to make it accessible for the first time ever in this country? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, how are little girls and little boys going to be able to go pick up ballet shoes and walk into a room safely and put their hands on the bar like I got to do? Yeah, And so that's what all of these projects are about, really.
3: Yeah, right. Ugh, it's such a journey. Can you talk a little bit about the, the white feather since you just brought that up and we, we haven't delved into that at all?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I'd always dreamed of making a Persian ballet. I always thought I'd like recreate Scheherazade, which I did, you know, my husband and I got to reinvent that pas de deux, which I just absolutely love. It was the first thing we co-choreographed together. Um.
3: It's the most beautiful but music it, ever. I mean, oh, you must have felt. Oh so... <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, we put a kiss in there. Everything it, we made it like, <laughs> like an Aladdin Romeo and Juliet. Like we, we really, um, we made it. We we made it very deep. I'll, I'll share that video with you one day, Michael. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, mm. but uh, you know, I I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. But how, when, why? where you know all the questions and um, when we started talking about how we're going to produce this documentary what is Tara's role right she didn't dance with the Iranian national ballet she -hmm. is the first Iranian American principal dancer but what how do we navigate her into this documentary um, outside of her traveling the world and finding these dancers and so what I really wanted to do was make a show and for them and, and, and mind you, this is all pre woman life freedom. So that's something I want to make very clear. All of this has been in the works for the past five years. And so, which is the craziest part about it. Right. Um, And so in the process of like, okay, am am I going to create some sort of like gala? Am I going to get a bunch of Iranian artists? Am I going to get the daft to like these Iranian um instruments and have people dance ballet like what am I gonna do to honor the Iranian national ballet? And so I was talking with my husband and my dear, dear, dear Iranian friend. I can't even call her friend. She's my sister. Her name's Sanoz K. Sultani. She was the first Persian person I met in the ballet class. Um Mm -hmm. she started ballet very late in life. She's like the city attorney of Carson. She brought football to LA. She's just this badass persian woman attorney but she's very artistically in tune and i'll never forget we're doing sean's in class one day and literally a voice in my head was like turn around and i turned around and i was like are you persian and she said vatic <laughs> which actually is how you say it's how you say yes in farsi i was like oh i freaked out and so we uh-huh. connected right then and there and so i went to her and said "Sanaz, what are we gonna do And she had already had this vision of a Persian ballet because her father was publicly assassinated when she was five years old by the Islamic Republic because he was general to the Shah. And the Shah Mm -hmm. was the former king of Iran. And her and her family had to flee Iran after her father was assassinated at five years old. Mm -hmm. And so I've always just had this deep, purpose to tell her dad's story somehow through the medium of dance. And so did she, it was actually her idea of how she always wanted to do a ballet that told her dad's story. And so basically they were like, we're going to do an Iranian ballet. And I was like, you guys, you're crazy. I'm going to have to direct, produce, choreograph and star in a ballet that you want me to premiere in three months. You're (laughs) out of your." Mind have zero dollars. How <laughs> am I going to do that? Like I, I, I have a wand, but like, how am I going to whip that up? And they were just like, Tara, you have to trust. This is your purpose. You can do this. We're going to do this with you. And so we did. And then my husband had this brilliant idea that Act One would be Revolution One, and Act Two would be Revolution Two. Because right as we started talking about this, massa. Amini was murdered and the revolution woman life Mm -hmm. freedom in Iran started. And I mean, it was like Mm -hmm. two weeks after it started that we had had that dinner and we decided we're going to do this and I'm going to find a way to create um, the first written Iranian ballet. And we are going to talk about all of the freedom fighters and unsung heroes of Iran through the medium of ballet. And that is how the white feather was born. Mm. And I gotta say, obviously, I'm biased, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but the, I've never really seen a ballet like ours. Not just because there are women in hijab, or, you know, we're hearing classical music with the Persian twist. And yeah, there's some spoken word in there, which is very different for ballet, but it's a healing journey. And there's a big moment with the inner child. And I just, I've never gone to bow and looked in the audience and seen grown men. Like, I mean, men well into their seventies, eighties bawling, and I'm Mm -hmm. just bawling. And so it just, I think I just love this ballet so much because it's very transformative. And I, and that's how I wanted to create it was not necessarily maybe to be the best ballet in history, right. But to be the most touching and the most emotionally rewarding to the audience, um, because it's not a traditional ballet. Really. It's a show. I mean, she belongs on Broadway to be honest. Um, (laughs) and it's, it's, that's obviously the dream, but you know, so we sold out at the Barclay and Irvine and we just realized she's not done. She, the world needs to see her. This is obviously my tribute to woman life freedom. Iran is not free yet. You know, September will be a year of this woman led revolution and I'm going to keep taking the white feather all over the world until it can go to Iran. And that Mm -hmm. that's obviously part of the mission. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So we just announced the dance for freedom tour we're performing at the Broad Stage in Santa Monica in Los Angeles on June 29th. And then we come to San Francisco and New York in September. Wow.
3: That's incredible. So I'll be able to see it.
1: Yes. will oh, have a comp Don't you worry, Michael. <laughs> uh,
3: uh. Well, Hopefully Miami
1: too Rebecca
4: oh I would love that yeah keep us posted yeah. we'll be sure to share I mean it just sounds I like got chills hearing you talk about this it's so incredible mm-hmm.
1: thank you yeah I, I just
3: yeah.
1: I just want people to connect with Bella in a deeper level you know I think
3: mm-hmm.
1: Bala arenas were always so fond of playing like oh look at her legs look at her feet look at her turn. And And that's a beautiful thing, right? because we are just these superhuman specimens, and we work our whole life to sculpt that and really create that. but what about the human element to being a ballerina and to being mm-hmm. a dancer and and how can we touch that human element and really connect to the heart of people um and I think that's what the white feather does
4: and I'm just thinking too like how many talented kids we could we may have lost you know that yeah didn't, have the opportunity to try like there could have been stars in all those years in iran that you know we didn't get to be a part of that they didn't get to be a part of ballet and it's just it's wonderful what you're doing i think
1: oh thank you and Mm -hmm. you know persian swan ballet school is running underground so okay some stars coming out of iran soon
4: right right yes but one yes. last thing that we did want to ask, though, if there, if our listeners would like to support your mission and support what you're doing, how can they do that?
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I try and be as diligent as I can with my Instagram. I went off all social media for multiple years, so I really just can only manage Instagram at this point. Um, but if you go to my handle Persian Swan. Um, you'll see everything there. My link tree is there. And within like my link tree, I think even if you just go to Linktree and type in my name, Tara Gossamia, um, you'll see there's a website for the Persian Swan film that you can get a, a digital ticket to, um, intuitive Artship, which is my husband and I's company and the company that is presenting the white feather. Um, that website is up there. You can get tickets to the White Feather through Eventbrite. Um, that's also linked in my link tree. Um, but even if you just went to eventbrite.com and typed in the White Feather, you would see our um, show in LA. And, you know, just obviously following along through Instagram is the easiest thing to do. And I always post my interviews and things up there. And um, really the the what I would love for listeners to do and to support this mission outside of you know buying tickets to the white feather or persian swan and supporting me please support iran please speak up because people aren't hearing about this on mainstream media it's really social media's only way and you know that is how the word is getting out there that people are on the streets i mean there's 18,000 political prisoners right now arrested mm-hmm. most of them are under the age of 25 years old I mean, there is a couple that was arrested for doing nothing but going like doing a little square dance. Um, but it was a man and a woman and she wasn't wearing hijab. And they are detained in prison for 11 years for dancing in public. And I think it's time the dancers speak up about this. This is our craft. This is our passion. This is what we love to do. And these people are just trying to be happy and free and dance. And that is our birthright that nobody can take away. And so the more we band together through humanity and especially our dance family and speak up about this, the closer we will get to bringing them freedom. And it really does work, you know, power in numbers. So please talk about Iran. If you see something that you want to repost, repost it. You know, we have dancers in in jail right now for just trying to be dance. And so just word of mouth talk about it if you want to support my projects amazing i really appreciate that but more importantly please support iran and please support women life freedom
3: thank you so much that was so powerful we can't wait to share with our listeners
1: oh thank you thank you for having me love to you both
2: Conversations on Dance is part of the Acast Creator Network. For more information, visit Conversations on Dance Pod, pod.com.